What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring and we would stop listening. But God is not boring and neither are his songs, which means we can come to him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who he is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for his good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in his songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. He's good because of who he is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for his good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in His songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. As I mentioned earlier, Dale is out of town. Uh, I am Jordan, one of the two pastors at this church. Dale, who normally preaches, um, is out of town. But um, we have a unique gift in that we have uh, a preacher from uh, Oceanside named Rick Curtis, who is joining us to fill in for Dale. Um, Rick has uh, been a, an amazing blessing to this church, um, and most of you have no idea. Um, Rick works for uh, a an organization called the North American Mission Board. And this church has been supported uh, for three years now by uh, the North American Mission Board. Most of that, um, most of that time funded as well. Um, they have been uh, encouragement, they have been support, and um, just a great um, way for us to be connected to a large group of church planning, uh, church planners and church planning movement. Um, Rick Curtis has been a, a very important part of that, um, and he has been um, a, a very useful um, friend and ally to this church, um, even though most of you have never met him. 
Um, he is the, the director for the West region of the North American Mission Board, which means that he covers a large territory. I believe I saw a picture on Facebook of him in Denver last week. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, he travels around a little bit, and uh, he helps support uh, mission, uh, he helps support um, church plants in the entire western region of uh, our country. And so uh, we have a rather unique blessing to have him here this morning to, to preach for us. Um, Rick, would you care to join us? Um, is that on? Yeah, it is on. Okay, great. Hey, so let me just say in all of that, uh, God is good. God, when, when, I think when you give your life over to the Lord unreservedly, He can take you on some journeys that will just blow your mind. I feel like my walk with Him since receiving Him at 19 years of age has been a roller coaster ride every day of it. And I still love my Jesus as much as I I did the day I surrendered my heart to him. And sometimes I even feel like, you know, that when you get on the roller coaster and it's like ka-chunk, 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 and you're going up to the thing, I still feel like I'm there and that the thrills are yet to come. And it's just been an incredible ride. Dale has been such a blessing to me. I, I need to tell you, um, in, the, in the early times when he, when he started prospecting in San Diego, he came a couple times. I met him before he came. I know his pastor from his sending church and... Uh, it was a blessing to get to know him early on and to, and to hear his vision for the city and his vision for the, the hurting people, the people that didn't know Christ. And, and so I invited him along with three other pastors. We have so many church planters in, in San Diego, but I saw something in Dale that I really wanted to pour into and to, and to get to know. And he was one of four pastors that for a couple of years I invited him. Well, with Dale, it was about, I think, about a year and just inviting him into my house and, and meeting with him and, and sharing with him and, and uh, having um, a meal with him uh, once a month and just uh, trying, to, trying to hear his vision and to, to help him in this journey of church planting. I am a church planter, but I have no street cred anymore. I planted in 1998-99, um, but I have been privileged to help hundreds of church planters um, find their unique call and journey uh, as they plant churches for the kingdom of God, and it, it's, it's amazing. Hey, we're here today to talk about Psalm 27, so let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless that, and let's see what he does with his scripture today. It's always a genuine surprise to see how he uses his own word. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the privilege of coming and breaking open your word. Lord, I pray that you would grab us by the soul, and you would drag us deep into the depth of your word. And Lord, that you would drag us so deeply that we're helpless and, and that we just surrender to the, to the ancient poetry, as the video called it, that the ancient poetry would, would, would spark something in our soul to bring us to the next level of commitment or understanding of who you are and your grace. The songs of freedom that you've proclaimed from the ancient days, let them fill our soul and, and restore us in ways that when we walked in the door this morning, we didn't even expect would happen. We surrender that to you, Lord. We surrender our heart and our mind to you, and we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly far greater than we could ever think could happen here today because of the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love that, that video. I, I just saw it, and, and, and it said, 
Let the ancient, something along the lines of the ancient poetry or the ancient poetry of the Lord wash over you. I don't know, and a quick analogy came to me because it's real to me. It, it happened this week. Um, I, I'm like hiding my hands because they're all banged up because I've been working with some cement work in my backyard and getting some forms done and I've been doing some, and my hands are just, they're embarrassing quite frankly, but, but I've just been working so hard on them. But a couple days ago, uh, Right after I returned from Denver, um, and I'm, I'm all over uh, the West, I'm, I, I travel quite a bit, but I was pound, trying to rush because I, I got home from Denver. I have a very limited window to get some concrete forms built and some concrete poured in the backyard, and then I'm off on the road again because I'm just always traveling. So I hit it hard and I hit it fast. And, uh, and man, uh, this older body is can't, you know, you feel it. And um, the other day I was, I was in the shower and uh, after working hard, I was dirty and, and whatever. And then, and just a, and there was a moment there where, which I don't usually do, I, I just sat down in the shower. And I, put, I remember putting my elbows on my arms and my head and my hand. And then I reached up and I turned the water on really, really hot. And all the, all the struggle, all the physical pain, all the stress about traveling in, getting the work done, and then having to travel out again, all of that under that hot water just kind of lifted. And it was just amazing to feel that hot water running down my back and, and just the peace that came there. And in that moment of, of just kind of physical kind of enjoyment, just letting that hot water and the rain of that shower over me just kind of lift my burdens and clear my thoughts and clear my heart. And it occurred to me when I saw that ancient poetry line on that video is that's exactly what God's psalms do to us. He, he, he showers us with the beauty of his wisdom and the depth of his, his thought and his mind for his creation, and he showers us with that so that we can come this morning with burdens or, or anger or hurt or joy or any of those feelings, from, ranging from good to bad. He can, he can just shower us with an abundance of blessing this morning if we'll just sit quietly before him and and just turn up the heat of our own spiritual lives that he, he could do amazingly uh, uh, more than we could ever grasp in just our own personal well-being and thought. So what I want to do, uh, I, as I thought about how I wanted to cover this this morning when Dale asked me to preach on this passage, um, what I want to do is I want to read it straight through. Because here's something that we tend to do as Christians. Sometimes we read and we take a passage and we kind of evaluate it and apply it to our lives. Give me, don't get me wrong, we're going to do that in just a moment. But sometimes what we fail to do is just read the context and let that shower head just pour over us and, and, and hear and feel the scripture as it penetrates our soul. So I wanted to take kind of a twofold approach today. I want, I'm going to give you some basic outline of where I want to go so you're not left without that. But I want to read this, the whole psalm, Unbroken. I just want to read it through. Let, it, let that shower just cover us. And then we'll go back and we'll start looking at individual parts of that. And, uh, and let me speak into that what I think the Lord was speaking to me. Um, and I hope that's a blessing to you as well about that scripture as we pick it apart. So let's, let's read. And before, uh, one last thing I want to say. I titled this message this morning, The Undeserving Heart. I want you to think about that for a second. Everyone in this room has an undeserving heart when it comes to God. And here's, here's what troubles me most, and, and you, you need to hear what I'm going to say right now. The, 
this is not a political statement, okay? We, we live in a, you got to just shelve that right now because we live in an environment and a society that everything you say in life somehow gets twisted into some political statement. This is not a political statement. This is a spiritual and a, and a psychological statement that I want to make. I think that in life, God wants to shower us with abundant blessing that, that he, and, and it's a blessing of his love and his presence. It's not a financial blessing. It's not all, all this stuff that we make out Christianity to be. He wants to know us and to be known. And he, he wants to bless us in such deep and rich ways that sometimes we, we cloud that because we're human. We're faulty humans. We live in a society that we feel, and look at, just turn on the TV. You deserve the best. You deserve this cologne. You deserve this, this house. You deserve this. It's this bombardment of you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. We don't deserve a whole lot, you know? When it comes to God's economy, Though we deserve very little because of our sinful nature, he showers us with abundance. And even in that, if you ask yourself, what is it that we deserve from God, really? Do we deserve to be financially set? Do we deserve to be happy all the time? Do we deserve that when we, we walk down the street, rose petals fall on our path and, and the clouds part and, air, and there's birds singing in the air? Do we deserve that? I think in God's economy, we deserve very little, but he showers us with abundance. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of what we're going to see in, in, in this psalm, in Psalm 27 today. So, so let's read that through and then I want to share some thoughts with you. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me and his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. 
I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So the undeserving heart, I sit here before you uh, as a man who deserves nothing from my Savior. Yet, as a man who has received eternal life, a gift that I can never repay, a man who receives the blessing of a, of a lovely wife who loves the Lord as well, and two children that are growing up and, and finding their own ministry in, in life as they seek to serve the Lord as Sunday school teacher. My daughter teaches Sunday school. My, my son is in PA school to be a physician assistant because he wants to serve uh, through mercy and compassion ministry and serve the Lord in that way. I deserve very little, but he has given me oh so much. I think our world is divided into two types of people. I mean, there's a, it's not to be overly trite or overly broad-brushing or, or, or kind of just kind of segmented, but I think if, if I held up a $100 bill right here, I think there's maybe someone in this room that would say, man, I deserve that. I think that happens every, every day. I think we see things on the billboard and we see things around life or we see what our neighbors have and we say, I deserve that. And then there's others, I think, that we know in our family that, that have, a, have a real understanding that we don't deserve a whole lot that we don't work really hard for. And so here's the, here's the kind of the spirituality or the psychology that I see behind that. I think when a gift comes to us, when God bestows his riches upon us, if we're in the first mentality that we deserve that, it's not a gift. It's not a gift. It's simply the receiving of what that person feels they deserve. But when God showers his gift upon the undeserving heart, the depth and the profound impact of receiving that gift is mind-blowing. And I, I, I think it's so near the heart of God to, to, to want to give and to want to bless and to want to... And, and so if, you, if I can make that human for a second, if I held up that $100 bill and I gave it to the one that feels they deserve it, is that a gift from me? Yeah, it is. Is it a gift received from them? Not really. Not really, because their perspective is unhealthy. Their perspective is that it's theirs. I have the right to receive that from that person. But if I give that $100 bill to someone in this room that was struggling right now, or, or maybe looked at that $100 bill as I held it up and said, you know, there's no way he's going to give that to me. And I gave it to them. The profound feeling, and this is a hundred, this is an ungodly example of money. I mean, it's, it's a hundred dollar bill we're talking about, but that person's life in that moment could be uniquely changed because they would receive it as a gift that they didn't deserve. The undeserving heart puts the soul of the man or the woman into a position to receive the glorious benefit of God's amazing grace in our lives. But if we have this sense of entitlement or this sense of deserving things from God in an unbalanced and an unjust way, 
it destroys God's mercy. And it destroys the reception of God's grace and His abundance and His beauty in our lives because it's, it's, like, it's like walking into the throne room of God and saying, hey, glad, hey God, so glad I'm here, aren't you? Aren't you glad that I'm here? I'm here. Hey, thanks for letting me in. I, I really appreciate it. I always knew I'd be here. Can you imagine approaching the throne room of God that way after your, that date? I'm, I bet you're glad I'm here, God. I deserve this. I lived a good life. I did these things. I'll tell you, I've, I've served the Lord for more than 30 years. And that mean, that's a, that's a hill of beans. That's nothing. As I approach the throne room of God after I pass, I want, I want to feel a sense of apprehension that says, God, did I, did I serve you like I needed to serve you? To be able to receive the gift that you have for me, for, of the gift of all eternity. To, have, I, have I done enough? And we all know it's not about doing, right? We're not saved by our works. But those works spring forth from the salvation and the knowledge of that, that, that I was an undeserving heart that received the abundance of God's grace and glory. So let's look at these scriptures with that in mind. And I want to show you that even in Psalm 27, God is telling us some pretty amazing things about how he gifts us. But whether you see it or not, as you delve into the depths of this scripture, this is actually, God is revealing for him, to himself and to, uh, or from himself to us an actual even path of, of salvation here. And it's, it's remarkable what he says to us. Let's just start the, the, over, the overarching theme here is, is found in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe you're here today and you're full of anxiety. Maybe, some, maybe there's a big decision you need to make next week. Maybe your life is going really, really well, but you know there's something on the horizon. And I want you to know that God doesn't promise you riches. He doesn't promise you a lack of struggle. He doesn't promise you that you won't get your knees bruised every once in a while. But one thing he does promise you is that you will find strength in him and that you, have no, you, may, you may not have a reason to think that he's going to make your path perfect, but you don't have a reason to fear. That's what he's telling us here. And we're so full of anxiety sometimes. And it's making the world a difficult place to live because everybody's freaking out. Everybody's full of fear. Everybody has anxiety. And God says, he starts this passage off and he says, whom shall I fear? Cast, he tells us in the New Testament so often and, and in the Old in various ways and various passages to cast our cares and our burdens upon him because he will raise us up. So the first thing I see for the undeserving heart here is a gift of protection. His gift of protection for the undeserving heart. It says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. You see how God takes the worst circumstances in our life and he turns them around for his grace, for his children. And that's powerful. To the undeserving heart, he says, I will protect you, fear not. I am the Lord, your God. And though, again, he's not promising we're not going to go through difficulties, because you know what? Those difficulties are what make you strong. 
Those difficulties are what makes you understand His grace. Because every, isn't it funny? Think about this for a second. Isn't it funny how every time we face this major challenge in life, we freak out, oh God, get me through, please get me through this, please get me through this, and He does. Six months later, oh God, please, if I'll do anything, just get me through. And He does. Wouldn't you think we'd look back and say, look at all those times. I will not fear this circumstance. I know God has his protection for me. And I'm going to grow for it and through it. I think that's a healthier thing. But dependence on God is good. But we have to sometimes turn around and look back at all the times he's rescued us, all the times he's gotten us through, all the times that he's made his grace and gift of protection known to us and rejoice in that and go without fear. I like this because it's even progressive. If you, if you really look at this, I want you to look at these first three verses pretty, or three or four verses pretty clearly because I want you to see the progressive nature in this because I, what I would say, I'll simplify it and I'll say when the going gets tough, God is there. And when it gets tougher, he's there even more. And when it gets almost unbearable, his presence is palpable. It's heavy. It's strong. And he even alludes to it here. Go back to midway through verse 1. It says, The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now look, when the wicked advance against me and seek to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. I will protect you, says the Lord. And then you go into verse 3. It says, now, now he's up in the ante, right? When an army besieges me. See, it's getting intense now. My heart will not fear. And then he takes it to a whole other level and he says, the war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. Isn't that amazing? I wish, I wish I had the faith that every time I faced a spiritual war, I had cast all my trust in him. I don't. I fall short. We all do. Maybe we can learn. Maybe we can see that the undeserving heart has the gift of God's protection in all that we do. So that leads to, now here's what I want you to see. This is how God moves in our life. He moves first. We did nothing for God to draw near to us. God drew near to us. We did not deserve it. That's what I've been trying to say, the undeserving heart. God moved towards us. He's saying here that he will protect us. His movement is first. Same with salvation. You didn't do anything to deserve salvation in Christ. He moved first through the power of his Holy Spirit into your life so that his move resulted in your move. And that's exactly what we see here. We see the plea of the undeserving heart in verse 4. We see an openness to, to take, receive that protection of the Lord and a response to it. It says in verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord. You see, God's movement happened first, and then we respond to that first movement. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, go, go with me all the way through six. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, and his, at his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. The plea and response comes after God's initial action. And so that's, that's what's beautiful here. This, this almost mirrors the path of salvation. God moves first in our lives, and then we respond to the gospel, hearing the gospel, and we receive Christ, and we come into his protection. There's two things I want you to see here, and I thought, I didn't know if I would have time to do it, but I think I will. I want to show you some of the symbology that's happening here in the Old Testament. There are two tents. If you read through the Psalms, and you guys are going through the Psalms, so you're going to see this a lot in the coming, in the coming months. But there's two tents in the Old Testament that, that are typically talked about. There is the tent of the tabernacle. That was the temporary worship spot as the, as the Israelites moved across the desert. And, uh, and it was during that 40 years of wandering that under uh, God's kind of expulsion from Egypt. And, and um, they, they, that was their place of worship, was the tent, the tabernacle it's called. But there was another tent in Jewish culture that, that I brought with me. It's, a, it's, it's the tent. It's the prayer tent. It's actually, you've seen this, what I'm going to show you, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay the foundation for it. It represented the scripture, and it represented the coming Messiah, and it represented all that God was and his significant blessing in our life. And just as the Psalms represent this covering or this shower, this downpour of his blessing upon us, so this to the Jewish people rec, uh, represented that as well. It's called the tallit. It's the prayer shawl of the Jews. And it's a very specific item with lots of symbology. I don't have time to go into all the symbology of it, but I want to share some of it with you. Uh, this, it's called the tallit. It's the prayer shawl. I'm opening it with the... See this blessing that's on this side? That's called the baruchah. Baruchah is the blessing, and you always open it facing you because you want God's blessing to face you. Not, you don't want it pointing away from you. If you'll notice on the, on the atara, this is the patch, it's called the atara, there's a place for your two thumbs to go there. So when you open, when the Jew opens the tallit, he reads the blessing of God in the Hebrew scriptures, and then what he does is he moves his hand, and I'll, I'll demonstrate this in a minute, but I want to explain two more parts. There's the patch, or the wing of the garment, okay? This is called the, the patch, also filled with scripture, and this is called the tallit. Now, without getting into it, because it would take a long time, all the windings, all the knots, they're all numbered and sequential. Everything is very specific, and it represents the 600-plus commands of God, 632 commands of God, and it represents, if you'll notice, there's five knots on this wing and five knots on this wing. It represents the Ten Commandments. It's a covering of God's Scripture upon us. If we're talking about the Psalms raining down and covering us and filling our lives and, and raining that blessing upon us, this, this is the idea and the sense that we're seeing in the Psalms reflected in Jewish tradition of the tallit. So what they do is they open it with the blessing upon themselves and they say the blessing, blessed are you, O God, O King of the universe, has commanded us to wear ourselves with, with the tzitzi, which is the, that's the tassels, they're called tzitzi, tzitziot, and commanded us to wrap ourselves and so what, what the Jew will do is they'll open it with the blessing upon themselves. They'll put their thumbs on the corner of the atarah. They'll bring it up upon their shoulders for a quiet moment. They'll get it adjusted. They'll move their hands out to the patches, and they'll hold the tzitzi in their fingers. Now, in the scripture, you'll see a lot of, uh, and you're going to be seeing it in the coming psalms, it says, I, 
Um, I want to dwell in your tent forever and find shelter in your wings. You see that all the time. The word for patch, the Hebrew word for patch is the word wing. And so the patch, the symbology that the Jew is familiar with is that when, when it talks about the shelter of God's wings, it's talking about the shelter of the tzitzi, of the, tzitzi the patches, and the, the talit, which is the, the garment. So now what a Jew does is he brings his hands back up to the atara, puts his hands, thumb, and finger on the blessing. He places the blessing upon himself on his head. See, now the blessing is on my head. And then he closes himself in his prayer tent. See the tent? It's a tent. Every time the scripture talks about the tent, it's either talking about the tabernacle or the tent, the covering of God's word, his blessing, and the future culmination of the Ten Commandments and the 632 scriptures that lead to the Messiah. The symbology is amazing. So we read through a psalm like Psalm 27, and we see this this place right here that says, for the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling and he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me and his sacred tent, in his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Doesn't that bring new meaning to that passage this morning? It's the wrapping of oneself in God's blessing, his scripture, and the knowledge of the Messiah. And the Jews had a picture of that so many, so many years ago, generations ago, and yet we are the generation since Christ that has the privilege to understand the true showered blessings of the Lord. So that brings with it a weight. And I want to talk to you about just the weight of the undeserving heart right? The weight of the undeserving heart. Look at, what, look, at his, look at his spirit in verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Because the undeserving heart that has wrapped himself and has understood the abundant, undeserved blessing of the Lord, his covering, his shelter in his wings, in his tent, you sit there in contemplation of your sinful heart and God's perfect mercy reigning upon you, and you can do nothing but cry out in undeserving praise of God. Look at, hear the voice, hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. I think it's pretty healthy to have an undeserving heart when it comes to the Lord because it truly helps us understand the depth of his blessing. And then finally, that acceptance of God's blessing or the release of the undeserving heart. In verse 10, it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Don't you think that ties into walking in the earlier verses to walking without fear? Think about the relationships. The mother-father relationship is supposed to be the most dynamic, powerful, deep, and loving relationship that you'll ever experience in your life, second to your marriage, because marriage reflects the union between Christ and the church. But the relationship of mother and father, even though we see lousy examples of that in our day, is supposed to be pure, and genuine, self-serving, I'm mean, not self-serving, self-sacrificing 
Yet it says in verse 10, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I love the response of the undeserving heart. Starting in verse 11, look at the response. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Look, here's what I see in this passage. The response of the undeserving heart when the grace of God comes upon that person and transforms their life is that they want to grow. They want to imbibe in the Lord. They want to take the fullness and richness of all that he has. He wants to cover themselves in the scripture, and they want to grow. It says, lead me your way, Lord. Lead me in a path because of my oppressors, a straight path because of my oppressors. And what happens when we determine in our lives without reserve, without excuse to follow the Lord and walk the path that he wants from us? Exactly what the next verse says. The accusers will arise to the right and the left. They'll point fingers to you and they'll say undeserved things to you. They'll say things to you that are malicious, false accusations, but you can't let it take you from the straight path he has laid before you. You don't deserve to have that straight of a path laid out before you, but in God's mercy, he lays it out for you, and he says, walk this for me, my child. Grow with me in relationship. Know me deeper, and I can know you deeper, and we can commune together, and we can have a a life that is not perfect because, again, rose petals aren't falling on your path, but I will be there so you cannot fear Don't worry about the distractions. There are some of you in this room, I'm telling you, I know it because you get 10 people together and probably half of them are facing some pretty dramatic struggles right now. At least half of them have, you know, it's funny. I think one of my biggest revelations in life was that everyone doesn't like Rick. Right? I mean, it'd be nice if everybody liked us and everybody, but you know what? I know for a fact everybody does not like me. And yeah, if I think about that, that can burden me a little bit. But at the end of the day, God's path is straight. He loves me. He's laid it out for me. And he's my defender. If I'm living for him and according to what he has for me and the plans he has for me, then I don't have to fear in the oppression. I don't have to fear with the false accusations. He will guide my path. He will guide your path, husband, as you lead your wife and your family. He will guide your path, wife, as you go along with your husband and you guide your children. He will guide your path, grandma, grandpa, because he's got little children called your grandchildren that he needs you to imbibe and and to nurture in the faith that God has given to you and, and be that voice of that protection to them. He will straighten our path. Get your get your eyes. Get your eye, please hear me, get your eyes off of your accusers. You're letting them control your life. Let the Spirit of God control your life and sharpen your focus on the path before you. And then look at the gift of security. These last two verses, the gift of security of the undeserving heart, and that gift is eternity. I remain confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Will you repeat this after me? I'm just going to take three or four words at a time. Just say, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He holds your eternity. He asks one and only one thing, and that is that you invite his son, Jesus Christ, into your life. He died on a cross for you. And he paid the path. He straightened the path for you because we are crooked and evil and undeserving. Yet he came and lived the perfect life and died so that you might have eternal life. If you, if, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you find that your life and your struggle, it's just crazy. I know how life gets. Even as a Christian, life's crazy. But without that hope, that fear can be put to side, without the knowledge that Jesus Christ already paid the price of your eternity, it can get even crazier because there's just no knowledge of what the future holds. So here's, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do anything right now, but after we dismiss this morning, after the music's done and everything's done, if you need to get right with the Lord or you need to, to pray maybe the best prayer you'll ever pray in your life, and that is to ask Jesus to come into your life, just to ask him to, to come and be the Lord of your life. If you need to do that, I want you to see Jordan or myself. We're going to be just floating around afterwards, shaking hands and smiling and, and uh, encouraging you to get a cup of coffee, whatever you want to do when it's all done, said and done. But the most important thing is that you leave here today knowing that you have no reason to fear because Jesus Christ has taken hold of your heart and the undeserved heart, the undeserving heart that you have for his grace and his mercy and his love and most importantly, his eternity, though you do not deserve it, he gives it to you as a free gift. Don't leave without that knowledge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I'm so in awe of you. I continue to be, after knowing you for 33 years, I, I continue to be in awe of you. I thank you that because of you, uh, my undeserving heart doesn't need to fear. That my undeserving heart has everything I need to grow in relationship with you. That my undeserving heart will be defended by you, though enemies surround me, though armies surround me, though my spirit goes to war, you stand as my defender. I praise you that my undeserving heart will face some difficulties because that's how you make us strong. But I thank you most of all that my undeserving heart has an eternity at your side because you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for me. And the thought that if I was the only person on the face of the earth, you would have still sent Christ to die is overwhelming. I do not deserve that, Lord. Yet still you would have provided that gift. Be with us this week. Be with us today, Lord. Challenge us in two ways. Challenge us first to know that our heart deserves very little when it comes to you, but you shower us with an abundance of blessing. And two, 
that we have an obligation to share and to tell of the great mercy that you've poured into our lives. So strengthen us to tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell our brother or sister, our mom or our dad, those that don't know you, how their undeserving heart needs a very powerful gift from an all-giving, all-loving, all-knowing Savior who seeks to have a relationship with them. Lord, as we leave today, help us to have a spring in our step knowing that we shall not fear. Help us to know and be secure in the salvation that you provide us and help us to keep Jesus on our tongue because of what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. I pray a new anointing on everyone in this room, a new strength, a new vibrancy in their faith, a new security so they can walk boldly in the life that you've called them to. And I pray, Lord, that they do radical things for the kingdom of God. In your name, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.